yourself and welcome to another episode of Half Hour. I am here with an amazing artist, uh, Kansas City um, born and bred and yet New York by day, I will say. And her name is Gabby Freed. What's up, Gabby? Ooh, hi. <laughs> what you been up to? Um, well, literally what I've just been up to is I wrote uh, four Hanukkah comedy songs this week with my writing partner, and I was just editing one of them. We literally, like, I wrote two, three ideas out Sunday night. We worked together Monday night and wrote two of them. We wrote two more on Wednesday while we were recording, recorded all four, and then I shot two videos yesterday, and I have two more to shoot. So that's what I'm literally... Okay, cool. So you've just sort of been taking it easy, very yeah. chill... Wait, how, how, like, did those other ideas just come to you as you were editing? Or did you, like, always know that you wanted to write, I don't know, 7 million Hanukkah parody <laughs> songs? Um, so I really wanted to write, I had, like, two for sure that were good. And then, like, I had a third that I really, I had a first line for. But I couldn't figure out, like, what I was trying to say with it. So, um, like, I texted my sister, and she said something funny, and then I told that to my writing partner, Andrew, and he was like, oh, I really like that line. Like, let's turn that into a rap. So suddenly we were doing, like, rhyming couplet raps, and I was like, oh, my God, I love this so much. And it's kind of, actually, it's not kind of, it is to the beat, the lipstick beat, like, boom, 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 boom. Oh, uh-huh. Wait, and do you mean lip gloss? Lip gloss, what did I say? Lipstick. <laughs> Yeah, lip gloss. Well, I didn't know if there was some other lipstick wrap that I didn't know about. Um, that's incredible. I love Lil Mama. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah. But I just released the first one that, like, he more wrote than I did. But, yeah. It's it's fun. Oh, my God. So is that what you feel like during the, the panty, as I've been calling it? Have you been sort of gravitating more towards, like, comedy writing and performance? Yeah. So it's funny. I was... I'm in a class right now and called shift at a Jen Waldman studio in New York online, obviously, but uh, it's about shifting your mindset and goal setting and really like taking account of where you are, where you're at and where you'd like to be. So that, that is like kind of side to, I'm just this month, I'm trying to make a practice of writing every day, whether that's one joke that I'm posting on Twitter or um, writing a sketch or like right now it's been a lot of like just little jokes. Um, but that's like what I'm committing to this month. But it's funny because at the beginning of the pandemic, when it all started, I had so many ideas that were popping up and I just like, I knew what they were, but I couldn't, I couldn't actually put it into place. I couldn't actually create, like I wasn't feeling ready for that yet, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I got back to Kansas and was in my bedroom at home and was taking classes actually at the studio, I suddenly felt expired and like creatively rejuvenated and starting in june i have written and created so much and honestly like i mean it's cheesy to say i'm proud of myself but like i'm proud of myself you should be i mean being productive at all during a pandemic especially artistically like is no small feat <laughs> like you you deserve to be proud of yourself so yeah um i made my new year's resolution this year like 2020 year was to be posting a video every friday and like for June through August-ish, I was doing that, and it was hard. Like, it was not... <laughs> that's like a full-time job. <laughs> it basically was, considering, like, I was teaching one class a day. I'd be like, that's my job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this, um, it's like what I was committing myself to. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. I, I think I've been chatting with many artists on here, and we've a uh, common thread is, like, 
finding new ways to be creative that aren't necessarily, especially for theater artists who like, really the only stipulation on what we do to make it happen is to like, have a bunch of people in a room. <laughs> so to like, you yeah. know, what does it look like when we can create outside of those boundaries? And I think they're like sometimes really illuminating of like things we may have been looking over, you know, this whole time, even before the pandemic. Um, so Gabs, tell us about what like your origin story. Where are you uh, from? Where are you from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cut my Joe, if you will. Um, when did you get the bug? When did you decide that, you know, this was kind of for you? Um, love it. I love a good origin story. Um, so I grew up in Kansas City, like you said. I was actually born in Nebraska, but who cares? Um, I <laughs> grew up in Kansas City and um, started dancing at Miller Marley when I was three um, and never stopped. And Quite love... young. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so like when you start dance that early, it's just a part of like the fabric of who you are. There isn't a question of am I going to perform or am I not? It's really like, am I going to like it or am I not? And then once you stick with it, it's just like, am I going to stick with this as a hobby or am I going to do this? Mm. Um, and I did my first show, like community theater show at Theater in the Park when I was seven. I auditioned when I was six. Shh, don't tell them that was illegal. <laughs> Child labor laws. <laughs> <laughs> Working for free. Uh, so. It's community theater. So are the adults. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, so I what did, was the yeah, show? I yeah, I was Annie and, um, at the end of the park. I was one of 75 orphans. Um, <laughs> insane. Miss Hannigan uh, needs some more resources. <laughs> right? I love to look back at that playbill now, though, like because I was just looking at it when I was in Kansas City and like seeing some of the Broadway people now, like Broadway people who are in mm. that show. I'm like, mm -hmm. damn, Kansas City is awesome. It just, really like, is. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool to be able to, like, how many people get to say that, that the first production I was in has people who are currently Broadway rocket dancers, like, on TV. It's just so cool. It's so crazy, too. I, I, just, I truly do not know what it is about Kansas City that makes it such a fertile place for artists, especially to, like, especially in, like, a training sense, like, for younger artists who then, like, go off and study and, like, develop these amazing professional careers. It's really cool. Um, anyway, so yeah. you found yourself in an ensemble of 300 orphans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, that experience was exciting. And um, in my heart of hearts, I thought I was going to book theater in the park every summer. Hashtag booked. Um, and I did not. Um, I, I like the next show I did there was a Wizard of, Wizard of Oz in 2004. But I'd done like, you know, some other shows in between. I was always dancing, always, um, you know, doing the talent shows at school. I just remember mm -hmm. one talent show where I did one of my recital dances and I forgot the like black shorts that go underneath your costume and it no. like flopped up and you my granny panties the whole time. And <laughs> <laughs> that's what I remember. I hope that's documented somewhere in a scrapbook by your mother. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, continued performing. And then once I got to middle school, I was seeking out opportunities to, you know, perform more, whether that to be in the, you know, school shows or um, I did Blue Valley Youth Players, which was like its own little thing uh, for Blue Valley kids, actually, and non-Blue Valley kids. And um, loved that. And then by the time I got to high school, I did, I auditioned for my first, at that time, MTYP show mm. um, and did not book. <laughs> hashtag not book um, 
But I thought I killed my audition, so I'm really upset about that. Well, the, um, and then they used to have so many people auditioning. From what I only did, it, I only got to do a couple shows there towards the like I was like 17 or 16 the first time. But yeah, from what I understand, before I started participating, there were just like so many people. It was like a really sought after program. Right, and the so many spots. The I auditioned for was On Your Toes, which is the one, like, one of the ones that they always, like, talk about. It was a huge production anyways, but, like, yeah, a lot of people auditioned. And um, and Ryan Worsing choreographed it. It was awesome. So Very did cool. not book that. And then, <laughs> but got in the next year to do White Christmas. And, yeah, like, did that, started doing, and did a couple more theater and park shows, booked that again. Um, and, um, you know, did some stuff at Starlight, like Starlight Stars did some out like, you know, camps and stuff like that. And by that point, by high school, you know, you want to do it. It's yeah. really just a question of whether like you'll be able to do it in college and be able to do it beyond that. Yeah. So when did you sort of like figure out that this was something that you could like do not just like as a hobby, but like as a career, like something that it was like worth your time and money and energy to go study. Like, did you have yeah. a, a moment when like a flip was switched, a switch was flipped? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I necessarily did. I think growing up at Miller Marley, like so many of the people, you know, 10 years, 15 years older than me were doing it professionally. So I just kind of expected if you really wanted to do it, you could, mm. you know, like they were successful. Why couldn't I be successful? Um, so, yeah. And like, I really looked up to Shannon Durig, who's a Miller Rally dancer who was Tracy in Hairspray. I saw her on Broadway. It's the second Broadway show I ever saw. Um, and I like seeing that it, it never made me question like is this possible the question was whether my parents would let me do it and the mm. question is like whether i would be allowed to go to college for it and at first you know my parents were like we don't want you to do this but then when in high school my sophomore year of high school when i was cast as a lead in the musical which like never happens sophomores don't get leads mm -hmm. um but i got a lead in the musical my mom was like i think like one, you're really good at this. And two, this is something you really love. I think you should pursue it. So I think that that was, I needed that moment of approval in high school in of order course. to do it. Um, yeah, I think it's so, so then I was really just set off. Or yeah. like, uh, especially in this business, like it seems like from a young age, like a common thread is like, we're kind of always seeking validation and uh, attention. So I think to that, like the capstone of that is like, if your parents or guardians are the ones who are like, okay, like you are good at this. I see that you are good at this. Like, I think it's something that you should actually pursue. Like that's such, that's such a gift. And it's so important, I think to young people, but also what you yeah. were saying about having like, um, when you were younger to have like almost like mentors, like people to look up to who were like actively working and who like sort of blazed a trail that you could like see an exact trajectory. I think that's so important too, to like, see folks who like actualize what you're like just sort of dreaming of is I right. think something that like sort of roots it and makes it concrete to be like, oh shit, like that's just a person. Like I can do that too. Yeah, a hundred percent. And just knowing that like, I think knowing that I was, my ingredients for my cookies were everything that I'd seen those people put in their cookies. And I was like, I'm doing it. Um, when I look back now at all that time, like I was doing it a little differently but I was still doing the same thing, you know, like 
my high school had kids go on to be on Broadway and to go on to these great musical theater schools. You know, I did MTIP, I was doing Theater in the Park, same thing, and Miller Marley and my voice teacher. And just like, I was trying to create the special sauce that I'd seen other people create. Now, looking back, knowing what I love to do now, I wish that a part of me wishes that I had been able to cultivate that like technique of doing comedy when I was in high school, like whether that had been being a part of a sketch or improv team doing comedy sports um, or like really looking into that, I think would have been a great thing for me to have done. Um, but I also know I approached all of those things I just said I did with a sense of humor and with my love of comedy yeah. that like it was never far away. Yeah, I think for like with some people, like we just like, and I think I would say for you, like some things we get for free with them, you know, as an actor or like as a performer. And with you, I think we like, we get that for free just because you're a fucking hilarious person. And, and now you've like sort of cultivated that, like, you know, that charm and the gravitas of like, I know how, like the science of this, you know, of like, you've sort of like cultivated that thing that has always been a part of, of you and how you approach things. Um, but right, I think like, right. like yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. I just was saying like knowing, uh, thinking about like, you know, when I was taking dance classes when I was a, when I was younger, like taking ballet, I mean, if I'd really been like, you know, focused ballet dancer, I could have been a great <laughs> ballet dancer, but I was kind of in dance was frequently like a class clown. And I see that now I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that, that worked out for me. It's <laughs> <laughs> in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I, I feel that on a level when any time that I was ever asked to dance in a show or like at a dance call and I was just like, how can I make this a funny moment or like, I don't know, because I clearly I clearly do not have that <laughs> going on. So but let me find Taylor, a, another you know way in. You know what's iconic in my brain is always, it's raining so hard and all. It's raining <laughs> so hard and all. <laughs> For our listeners who don't, who aren't privileged enough to know, uh, Gabby and I were once in a production of Chicago in which I pray, uh, played the late Fred Casely, um, which I had only seen the movie at that point. So I did, which in the movie, the courtroom scene does not include, uh, I don't know, Fred Casely dancing. Um, so I did not know that that was something I would have to do. Uh, I have very long limbs and they were flying everywhere. So whatever, <laughs> I, I had a great time. Um, um, so where do you find yourself at, like, um, like post-grad, like, what did that look like for you? And what are you sort of doing now? Um, I guess like pre-plague and, and during plague, like, and has that, has that changed anything for you? Yeah. So, um, post, um, graduation, I was, you know, auditioning for musical theater. I went to, um, NYU for acting. That's like the degree you know, that's what I was studying. I wasn't studying musical theater, but I was always auditioning and doing like musical theater classes, which just a lesson to anybody who is in high school looking for, you know, colleges. Like it's not about having a musical theater major. Sometimes you can get kick-ass acting training and make up that musical major like for you. And you know that just as well as I do. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I, I have an acting degree, but I was doing musical theater and booking musical theater every so often. I can't say like, can, you know, all the time, but booking. And um, uh, the year after I graduated, I worked at Starlight for the first time back in Kansas City, mm -hmm. which like 
was a dream for me. I, you know, growing up, I really wanted to work at Starlight. I auditioned also for Annie at Starlight, did not get in. Um, also, sidebar, when I auditioned for Annie, I remember doing the thing that I still do now, where like, I thought I killed it in the audition. And I was like, they must have mistaken me. They must, and they cut me. They, they must have wanted me and meant to cut another girl. And like, <laughs> I still do that. You know, it's the same thing that makes you check your email, like your spam box after an audition, thinking mm. that they're going to like send you the call back and you just missed it. It was same thing. Created yeah, the habit. Sure. I, yeah. I got to say, while we're on this topic, just really quickly, casting directors, we got to figure out a better way to let people off the hook. If we could just like send out an email to be like, you didn't book, I can move on with <laughs> my life. But what I can't deal yeah. with is the nebulous nothing. I can't deal with the fucking bulletin boards that I have to go log into to see if someone else got a callback. I don't want to be that guy, but sometimes no. I have to be that guy and it drives yeah. me crazy. It needs to be more automated truly. And like in 2020 and during the pandemic, well, I know there's no money for this, but people should be working on making auditions more automated so that you don't have to print out headshot and resumes so that it's in the system so that you know what number people are at at ECCs and EPAs and it's just yes. in a system. And so everybody gets an email like after the audition that just says like, you You're were no longer being considered. Yeah. <laughs> I take it. If I yeah. got 50 rejection emails, at least I know how many auditions I went to. Exactly. <laughs> at least I can keep a tally. And also yeah. we should say not for nothing, we're, we're, we're moving the industry in a sustainable way. I don't want to have to pay and print out for headshots and resumes. I don't want to go to the Staples by Pearl Studios. It's horrible there. Horrible, it's so scary, 100%. Um, yeah, it's, it's horrible. Um, so where do you find yourself at like right now in terms of like creativity? Clearly we're back, we're back to the, the comedy writing, which is- amazing. Yeah, um, I started taking classes there my uh, junior year of college and also started doing like background work at SNL, which was also it's like during college, which to me feels like its own kind of training. I just think that's important. Like both those things are important to the where I am now. Mm. Um, and um, so I was continuing to take UCB classes and like after college as well. And wanting to be in the comedy world was part of an improv uh, house team at another theater. And um, I always I started doing stand up last year, performed at some big stand up clubs like that was really the direction I was moving in pre-pandemic anyways. And my, my goals this year were very much surrounding writing and, and being on comedy teams at theaters. And I, I'm on a house team at The Pit, which is another theater in New York that I got on in January and got one show. Someone's ringing my doorbell. Hold, please. Oh, thank you, hold. Got on a sketch team. So that was all like pre-pandemic. So now um, pre-pandemic, yeah, got on was taking writing classes was really trying to focus on writing and then pandemic started i felt the same like grief hopelessness that everyone felt and was like what am i doing and then <laughs> over the summer began writing began feeling creative again um and was also just feeling like i was taking classes that were technically acting classes but like this is not fulfilling me like pretending that i'm gonna be going to an audition or like needing to work on cuts or like singing songs to work on impulse training is not fulfilling right now because it's not happening right now it's not yeah. happening for at least another six to eight months i mean who's to say like so, you know starlight other outdoor theaters maybe people to get theater back on its feet before broadway but like it's not happening and it doesn't feel good to be like hurting myself in that way. So I was already writing and creating, which does feel fulfilling. And I think the hard part about writing and creating by yourself in a vacuum is not knowing what's funny and <laughs> not knowing like 
how it actually works. And sometimes I can make myself laugh when I'm editing things and I'm like, oh, that's good. But sometimes you just don't know. Um, yeah, some, but yeah I, I joined it. I feel like what, oh, ahead, is fun, what is funny to me, like kind of changes on like an hourly basis, depending on like my mood sometimes. So I feel like having someone else there to like have some, you know, someone to like bounce ideas off of is super important. Yeah, a hundred percent. I posted some videos on TikTok that I made earlier in the summer. Um, I posted them this last week and like I was having to watch them over and over again to write captions on them. And I was like, these are not funny. And you know, they didn't blow up. They didn't get tons of likes. So maybe the world also agreed with me, but um, that's just how I was feeling. But like, yeah, so I was asked to join um, an online like YouTube sketch show where everybody was making their own sketches by themselves called the homemade sketch show over the summer. And I did five episodes with them, which was like creating a deadline. I had to submit sketches every week. Um, and then now it's on like a, a Roku channel, Tubi TV, uh, which is awesome. Very cool. And, but then like, yeah. And then the election started and I was working on stuff for the election and like one creatively and one just like phone banking. I was doing some creative stuff for a campaign mm -hmm. and creating like little videos for her, but my creativity for myself really dropped off the map. So that's why this month I'm really committing to trying to write and be creative again. But throughout all of this, again, I'm taking writing classes. I really like have shifted my focus to wanting to write more. I got into a grad program, but turned it down for writing. So I'm no like, way. I think I'm, I've been, yeah, I, I've been taking uh, classes at Second City, the Hollywood one online uh, for late night writing. Like that's really where I want to be right now. I would love to be writing on, I mean, I always say SNL, but I would love to be writing on, you know, Seth Meyers, Samantha Bee, John Oliver. Like, I mean, those are really hard jobs to get, but I would love to be doing that. Yeah, so and also at. I think that the stuff, I mean, what I think is really cool about those shows and, and a way that I feel like you would lend like really well to them is that they really toe the line between like goofy and like political commentary. And I just feel like you have such a good brain for like melding the two of those yeah. things together. And that's like part of the fun, I think, you know. Um, so when you. Yeah, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah. No, I just was going to say, I think um, people get a lot of their news from those sources. And I've always thought that those people, late night comedy, have the power to enact change in their actions. And I think that's a really powerful place to be and to be able to cha change the world through political comedy. Totally. Yeah. Um, so after, you know, once we have some sense of normalcy in terms of being able to gather in large groups and theater becomes a thing again, and even like stand up shows indoors become a thing again, you know, what, what do you want uh, it to look like for you? And also, like, are there things about the industries that you hope like change and pivot uh, once we go back? Oh my God. Like, I hope so many things change. It's, it's hard to even fathom, like, um, stand up on its own is an expensive thing to be doing because you have to pay and your friends have to pay to come see it. And you have to like bring 10 friends and it's a cool thing because you can really get seen and get exposure that way. But hundreds of people are doing it some, some well and some not well. And it just feels like we're all like rats in the subway, just like clawing our way <laughs> to the top, you know? <laughs> You're like pizza rat, you know? Uh, um, <laughs> pizza rat. But um, musical theater above all else, like I hope changes. ECCs and EPAs need to be a way of the past. Like 
and also in coronavirus land and in like there's gonna be more viruses in the future land like we i got exposed to coronavirus i didn't get it but i was exposed because there was still an audition on march 13th after broadway shut down um and i went to that audition and one of my friends was there who had corona um which she didn't know but like there you know there was a casting director who exposed a ton of people at an open call like it just it needs to be the way of the past even pandemic aside it just isn't healthy it isn't what people should be doing and like there needs to be a way to make artists feel valued as opposed to replaceable um and we're funneling so much i would encourage anybody to go pursue your dreams and go to school for musical theater and acting but we're funneling so many actors into new york and like the funnel just can't handle it and actors equity just can't handle it like actors equity needs to be restructured the epa audition system needs to be restructured like there's just so many overhauling changes that i don't know all that much about but it can't go like I can't go back to being judged on whether or not I should get health insurance based off of singing for 15 seconds. That yeah. doesn't make sense. Well, I think also that's a kind of a microcosm of like, I don't think anyone's health insurance should be tied to their employment at all. But but yes, I agree, especially when it's like so such a small part of like, you know, your audition process is is ultimately, you know, the the case of to make or break if you get a job and qualify for health insurance. Right. And for like, for so many years, I've been an ensemble dancer. Um, and there's really an emphasis for ensemble dancers on white, skinny, like cookie cutter women, or filling a token role for some other ethnicity. And I will say in the last year or so, year two, like they've gotten better with that. And now, you know, I feel like people are definitely looking for diversity and ethnicity. But when I'm saying diversity and ethnicity, it's really to fill a track that they're saying this is a black track or this is a Asian track instead of just looking at people based off of talent and still judging bodies. Like I've always felt judged that I don't have a cookie cutter dancer's body. And that doesn't make sense. Also post pandemic, who is going to, who the fuck's going to have a, you know, dancer body. Like, don't not judge any me. of us. Not so. me. <laughs> yeah, and I think also, like, yeah. <laughs> as a as a theater maker and creator, like, we do a huge disservice to like telling a real and honest story. Like, regardless of where that story takes place, like if it's a fantasy or if it's like a bio, whatever, we do a huge disservice by like skewing what the world looks like in the world of a play if it's just people who look like that if they're all if they're mostly white or mostly skinny or you know mostly cis or whatever that's not reflective yeah. of the whole world you know like that that is such a small percentage of of the world and to to not um engage those other populations is ultimately like boring <laughs> you know right. and it's not about like why I, it's also about like who's watching who is watching you and like if children are seeing this if young adults are seeing this and they're seeing in in film and theater in any aspect and seeing this is what a woman looks like and you're saying that this is what a woman who a man falls in love with looks like and she is only this thing how wrong is that mm -hmm. like are you telling me that a plus-size woman can't also have someone fall in love with them if it's outside of hairspray that's ridiculous and like what are you telling the next generation 
And I think I, um, also reflecting it back to the audience, like who are you filling your audience with? Look around at a Broadway audience and you'll see all white hands clapping. Like look to see who Broadway's accessible for. That's the other aspect. It's not yep. just the auditions. Like who can see a Broadway show? And the, if Hamilton hadn't been put online, how many people would have gotten exposed to that? I mean, they were doing they were doing work to try to expose people, but like yeah. so much shows and so much work that people are doing uh, we can't afford to show it to everybody because the way theater and the business of theater and Broadway is structured. Totally. Because, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, but really only Broadway and like the big Broadway tours are for-profit theaters. So right. the rest of other theaters, like even the big, big regional theaters, like I'm talking like, um, you know, the big theaters, in, like the Guthrie or even Kansas City Rep, like all of those regional theaters are nonprofit theaters. A lot of them started in the 1930s with the, with the New Deal, um, mm -hmm. which was like the only time we ever had government support, <laughs> centralized government support for the arts. Um, but the, I think there's a huge pitfall with those theaters and with, especially with for-profit theaters because they have to make a certain amount of money to keep things you know, happening and theaters expensive to make. But ultimately for the for-profit, it feels like the, the bottom line is the most important. And as long as they're making money, they don't necessarily care so much about the minutia in terms of like diversity and inclusion on and on stage and in the audience, you know? Right. And I know like, I just know specifically about Starlight because I was hearing about it this last week. You know, Starlight does a lot to give away tickets to their Broadway shows and to try to have a lot of diversity and inclusion in the work that they're doing. But there's only so far you can reach in your capabilities. And like, I just want every kid to be able to be inspired by the same level of theater mm. and for it to, you know, for it to be equal access. Although somebody said the other day, what was the word not equal and i just heard something really good the other day equitable equitable yeah maybe it was equitable equitable not equal yeah i i, I gotta like think on that <laughs> i think yeah yeah i'm not sure either but you know certainly we are not the ones to fully solve these problems but i think having conversations like this with fellow like artists and theater makers helps to like broaden the reach of the conversation and you know i think that's how like change begins to happen um, what are you working on? Where can we find you? Uh, what can you plug that you have coming up? Sure. So literally what I have coming up is like three more Hanukkah videos <laughs> right now, um, which will come out on my Instagram, which is at Gooby Freed. That's uh, G-O-O-B-I-E-F-R-I-E-D. Um, or on my TikTok, which I'm like really trying to get at because some videos went, went nice and like baby viral last week. But um Yes. Uh, which is gooby food instead. Um, and so that's where I'm basically at. And yeah, you can find most of my stuff on my social media and things, you know, when homemade sketch show comes back, when my sketch team comes back, that'll be back there too. But that's where most things are. Amazing. Well, we can talk so, so soon. Yeah. And I hope you have a, a safe and happy rest of your Hanukkah and holiday. And uh, let's let's keep in touch. It was so good to catch up with you. <laughs> <laughs>